So the year was 1970, and Dr. Peter Bolins and his wife Eleanor had decided to move to Mississippi. They had previously been missionaries in South Korea, where Pete worked as a pediatrician. After their return to the States, where Pete obtained his master's in public health, they began feeling that God was calling them to serve the poor right here in the United States. So they chose to serve in the poorest area, in the, one of the poorest counties in the U.S., and headed to the Mississippi Delta. They packed their daughters in a small white sedan and left behind a city they loved, friends they cared for, a good-paying job at the University of Minnesota, and a wonderful Christian school for their children. Now, Pete's plan was to start a clinic in Mississippi and do community health outreach. He wanted to serve people who, at that time, had no access to care. However, he wasn't counting on the tremendous obstacles and challenges that he would face. The plantation owners and landowners threatened him when he came on their land. He was shunned at the local hospital. His daughters were picked on and teased at school. And his wife even faced opposition from local church groups. On top of that, there was a tornado that destroyed the trailer where he had planned to have his clinic. He began to question whether this really was what God had called him to do. He writes in his book, Delta Doctor, I had passed the limits of my own control, understanding, and endurance. Even the tenacity that comes from being a hard-headed Dutchman wasn't going to be enough to make this venture work. But once I gave up, a tremendous work of God began quietly inside of me. Since my only goal was to stick it out until I had to leave, my focus began to change so that I was trying only to honor God in the 24-hour stretch before me. As my spirit relaxed, I felt a holy recklessness. Pete and Eleanor did stick it out, and they stuck it out for a lot more than those 24 hours. For over 20 years, they served in Cary, Mississippi. And in addition to this, Pete also began international work, supporting doctors and nurses doing similar work to his, working in their own countries all around the world. The organization that Pete got to support his work was called the Luke Society. He became the first director of the Luke Society in 1978, and in 1999, when he retired, the office for the Luke Society was moved to right here in Sioux Falls. It currently supports over 40 international ministries. And as Dave mentioned, it's the office where I currently work. So you could say that one of the reasons I'm standing here today is that in 1970, Dr. Pete didn't give up. Things God calls us to do aren't always easy. 
Following Jesus is not always easy. But when we follow him, when we walk by faith, when we stick it out, when we stand for him, he does incredible things. Hi, everybody. The first scripture reading today is Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became afraid like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And the second reading is John 20, 19 through 21. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He is risen. Oh, awesome. He is. He's still risen. And for those of you who are kind of like, Nathan, just get over it. No. It's still Easter. I'm not going to stop celebrating, and neither should you. We should be going everywhere and picking up the half-off Easter eggs, like the Reese's eggs specifically. We should be getting those and, 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 and hoarding them because we need to make it through 40 days of celebration. In fact, there's an old Christian tradition that says you're supposed to celebrate for 40 days. It's a 40-day feast. I mean, we did 40 days for Lent. Why not 40 days for Easter? Which requires more chocolate. And I am up to the chocolate challenge. Hey, why is Easter so important, Life Church? Because Easter is the heart of our faith. Rowan Williams says it's the seed of of our faith. Everything that we say about God and about ourselves is connected to Easter somehow. Who is God? Well, he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the God who came from heaven to earth to be our mediator, to reconcile us to him, to bring us back to him. He's the God who hates sin and death but beat it for us. He's the God of life. And Easter also tells us the truth about ourselves. Who are you? Who am I? Well, it tells us that we are the ones loved by God. We're the children of God, little children loved by God. We're his covenant people who believe. We're forgiven sinners who are about to be raised from the dead, body and soul. Just like Jesus, we're going to be raised from the grave. We too will have eternal life. We too will walk on the earth with him triumphantly. 
So because of Easter, we have a true vision of ourselves. We can finally see who we are. And if you have that kind of vision, a resurrection vision, it changes how you act now. I was hesitant to use this illustration, but I had the prop, so here we go. Um, Augmented reality. How many of you know what AR is? You may know what VR is, right? You've seen VR goggles, right? Well, AR is even better than VR, in my opinion. VR is you're in some kind of metaverse. AR actually keeps you in this verse, but it actually layers stuff over the top. Are you familiar with this? I can still see all of you here, and there you are. I'm still in the Life Church building, but I can begin to actually layer things on top. So right now, you know, you can see the, what color the walls are there, but now they're red. And, and now, all of you are five years younger. There you go. I'm just kidding. I don't, I, I'm not actually plugged in right now. But... <laughs> <laughs> Raymond, you're like more than five years? Like, is there a higher filter? Is that it? Ten years, <laughs> Ten years plus, please. It's, it's kind of cool. I mean, and they actually have this on Zoom already. They have, you can have a cat on your head. I'm not making this up. You can augment reality. And some of you are saying, yeah, 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 but that's all fake. Well, yeah, there's a fake AR. But there's also a real augmented reality. When you see... What is going to become? When you see the truth behind the so-called truth. We're starting a new series today, Life Church. It's called Risen Vision. Because we want to see with the eyes of faith. We want to see with resurrection eyes here. It's partly because we are doing a vision casting process right now, but it's because... Well, we're in Easter, this 40 days of Easter. You know, I had a revelation about the resurrection narratives. I was reading through the New Testament Easter stories again, and I noticed something. Jesus gives some commands. The risen Jesus does. But they're weird commands. They're not like the normal commands. They sound like commands, but they're different somehow. What I mean is this. Jesus says, fear not. He says, touch me and see. He says, believe all the prophets have spoken. Receive the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. To me, they didn't sound like ordinary laws or rules. It's not like Jesus was bossing around with new orders. That wasn't the spirit of it. It was much more like, um, it's like when you invite somebody over to your house and you say, please come in. Well, that's that's a command, but it's not really, is it? Or let's say you're walking with a friend through the forest and your friend spots a 12-point buck and says, oh, look over there, look. That's not a command exactly. It's more like an invitation. It's more like a a direction, an orientation. So I would encourage you these next five Sundays to think about these commands more like vision directions Is Jesus saying to you, put on the goggles for a second. Put on the resurrection lenses and see what you see. Because that's real. It's what's true and it's what's coming true. Today, 
that first resurrection vision direction. Fear not. As we go to make plans for our lives and for this church, the risen Jesus is telling us, don't be afraid. I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 28. That's what Brian was reading from earlier. We'll spend most of our time there this morning. Matthew 28, the first 10 verses. And as you're turning there, you may want to remember what happened before Easter. Jesus, of course, had been betrayed. He was going to be crucified. And all the disciples, they scatter. And for good reason. The powers of the universe are out there to destroy Jesus and the Jesus movement. Their leader is crucified, and the disciples, they fear they're next. And so the disciples, they scatter to the winds. In Matthew's gospel, all that were left were many women. The women were nearby, probably because they weren't so uh, scared of being attacked. But they're being faithful, and yet Matthew says, but even they looked on from a distance. That's Matthew 27, 55. Finally, as Jesus perishes on the cross and he's murdered in public, the only disciple who will come forward to get the body is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. He has the courage to ask to bury Jesus' body. But then it says there are two extraordinary women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And they're there to follow Jesus' body to the tomb, and they see it there, and they're attending Jesus' body. And they're there on Easter morning, But they're not the only ones there. According to Matthew's gospel, there's also some Roman guards. At the request of the chief priests and the Pharisees, Roman guards have been placed there. And what you want to understand here is that there aren't many disciples around. In fact, there are only two, only two left who are nearby, Mary and Mary. But the Jews, the powerful Jews, that is, and the powerful Romans, they have won. That's what this whole scene looks like. They have ground up Jesus and his movement. The disciples are running scared. And I want to ask you, is that you this morning? Are you coming to church or are you listening to this right now in that spirit of fear, frightened by the hugeness of the world? Did anybody make the mistake of listening to the news this morning or reading the news or even taking a look at social media just to see what was going on? Did did you feel what happened to you in your gut when that happened? And maybe you're here this morning frightened by the hugeness of that world or you're freaking out because of cultural or economic or technological forces that are way bigger than you. Please tell me I'm not the only one who's nervous about AI. Or are you anxious because of the anti-Christian rhetoric out there and the mouths of anti-Christian political actors or the anti-Christian trends worked out by anti-Christian powers? You're no different than Mary and Mary. But there at the tomb, something even more terrifying happens. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake... For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Can you see this? Earthquake happening. Angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, in the Bible, angels can look very modest. They can look exactly like you and me. This is not one of those angels. This is a tough angel 
who is terrifying. It goes on and describes him. His face was like lightning. If you're with us and you're making some art today, like don't make this a normal angel face. We have lightning coming off this angel face. And his clothing white as snow. The guards, by the way, these are Roman soldiers. These guys are trained not to be afraid of anything. They are so scared that it says they trembled and became like dead men. They're paralyzed. They're, they've passed out. But Mary and Mary are there too. And I'm sure they're afraid too. They're afraid of the angel that's just sat down on the stone after rolling it away. It's a huge stone. No problem. And the angel says to Mary and Mary, what? Do not be afraid. Or for some of you, the translation in your Bible might say, fear not. Fear not, Mary and Mary. Now notice the angel doesn't reassure the guards. He's like, yeah, you should be soiling yourself right now. (laughs) But Mary and Mary, do not be afraid. Why? For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. If you ever are in the presence of a supernatural being, an angel or archangel, or if you are ever in the presence of God where God somehow tears open a heavenly veil and you have an experience of God, you don't ultimately need to be afraid if you're seeking Jesus. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So the angel announces that Jesus is risen. You'll notice there in verse 6 that he tells them to check out the empty tomb. These women are to be witnesses. And then he says, go and tell the disciples the joyful news. Notice that they're still afraid, though. It's hard to overcome all that fear all at once. I think God understands that. And so Mary and Mary, and they leave, they start running And they depart with, look at verse 8, with what? With fear (laughs) and great joy. Both of those things together. And that's when Jesus steps into the story. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And apparently Mary and Mary are so overwhelmed by this because they stumble towards him. Apparently, they fall at his feet, and they cling to him. They took hold of his feet and worshipped him, says verse 9. Notice Jesus' response. He accepts the worship. He should. He's the Son of God. But then he repeats what the angel said. Do not be afraid. Fear not. He's saying to them, Mary and Mary, you are free to be joyful. It doesn't have to be half fear, half joy. All joy. You are free to be happy. You are free, moreover, you are free to be witnesses who joyfully testify to me and minister to others. Go and tell my brothers. You're not allowed to be afraid anymore, however. You're not allowed to be afraid anymore because you win. 
And winners like that don't have to be afraid. My sermon notes say, insert dad jokes about fear here. Okay. I used to have a major fear of speed bumps. Now I'm slowly getting over it. I have a fear of overly designed buildings. You might say I have a complex, complex, complex. When did I become dad-aged? I don't know. know. Fear not, O Jacob, the Bible says. Fear not. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. It's Jeremiah 30, verse 10. Don't be afraid. I'm going to take you out of the hands of those who seem so mighty. And we say, but Lord, what about the Babylonians? Fear not. Yeah, 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 but but the Persians, the Persian Empire, the Persians, fear not. And we carry on today, don't we? We say, yeah, but Lord, what about China? I mean, an atheist regime, they're persecuting Christians again. Fear not. What, What about Russia and autocrats? Fear not. Yeah, but what about even in America? Fear not. They don't determine the story. These powers out there don't dictate your narrative. They do not have control of the future. Fear not. Skip over to John 20. That second passage, John 20, starting in verse 19. Jesus has come back from the dead. He's vindicated in his resurrection splendor. And then he repeats this fear not message uh, for his first encounter with the group of disciples. Not just these faithful women, but the, but the, the larger group of disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that is Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. A similar situation here in John's Gospel The disciples have scattered. They're afraid of these great powers out there. In fact, they're hiding with locked doors. The high priests and the Pharisees with an angry mob, man, they were scary. They killed Jesus. But they're not so scary anymore with Jesus raised from the dead. So Jesus comes to them and says to these scared little children, peace be with you. It's the the same thing as fear not, isn't it? Uh, when I was a kid, I actually went to a church where we would go around and say, peace be with you. In fact, when uh, we lived in Scotland for a time, that was the practice. You'd go around and say, peace be with you. And I always just thought it was kind of a pleasantry. But it actually has this resurrection feel. When you go and say, peace be with you, I'm like, oh, that's an Easter practice. I guess I never realized that before. 
In fact, it was so cute. Uh, we went to a church with a famous theologian over there, uh, and um, I was kind of intimidated by him because he was like, big, big deal. But he would come over to Z, and Z was just a little baby at the time, just a few months old. And he would go over to you know, Z, and he'd be like right there, and he'd go, peace be with you, Z, and give him a little you know, peaky handshake. It's a resurrection greeting. Jesus says, peace be with you. And then it says that he took away their fear because he showed them his hands and his side. When you see Jesus, when you know it's Jesus, your fear is overcome. Uh, he showed them his hands inside, yes, because he wanted to assure them, it's really me, it's really me, the same one who was crucified, it's me. I'm back from the dead. Check out my scars. It's me. But he's also saying it, I think, because he wants to show them how little the world could do to him in the end. Yep, they're scars. But really, in the end, it's nothing more than scratches. This is the worst the world could do to me. The disciples needed to understand that they were looking at the Lord. He was Jesus, the victor over the violent Jews, the, the victor over the brutal Romans. Those people brought death, but Jesus destroyed death. Amen? There's a fun story from a guy named Matty Montgomery in his book, Scary God. Uh, Matty's a pastor down in Sioux City. Matty's a tall guy with tattoos, uh, used to be in a heavy metal band. And he tells this story about when he was a kid, he was not like that at all. He was a shrimp. And he would get beat up by this kid named Brock. And Matty says it didn't matter how much he ran, how much he flailed or fought, Brock kept bullying him and beating him up. Well, one day, Maddie's dad found out. Maddie's dad at that time was 250 pounds of pure muscle. And he said his dad found out, and he's like, we're going to have a talk with Brock. <laughs> and Maddie's like, I knew that day my dad was going to kill Brock, and I was okay with that. <laughs> and so Maddie and his dad went and found Brock, and there was Brock with his bike, and Maddie says that his dad walked over, was like, Brock! Gets down to Brock's face, and then he pulls his son over, and he says, this is my son. And then he says to his son, son, I give you permission to knock his teeth out if he touches you or anything you own. And Brock never touched him again. <laughs> and then he said it was so weird, because like, I was still a shrimp. I was still completely beatable, upable. But everything had changed. Why? Because he knew who was on his side. And notice what Jesus does to change his disciples' perspective. He takes their fear, here in John 20, he takes their fear and replaces it with peace. Peace be with you. He takes their sorrow and makes them glad. He takes their Isolation, maybe somebody is listening to this right now online, takes their isolation 
and turns them into sent people. Gets them moving. That's a risen vision. A risen vision is bold because it understands that Jesus is Lord. You don't have to live in fear because Jesus is Lord. Caesar, he's not Lord. Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders, they're not Lord. Pontius Pilate, he's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And those of you who are baptized into Jesus' name, you know he's Lord. His lordship has been proclaimed over you in your baptism. You came under his authority. You are under his good lordship. He's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, which means you win. Your enemies don't stand a chance, so fear not. Jesus is telling our church this morning to fear not. Um, many of you know this. We're in a vision casting process right now at Life Church, and a key part of this is that we have a listening team, a number of people who are discerning what God is revealing, and they're trying to listen to you because we're going to do this together. And the idea is that in the end, we'll have pulled together a vision that really reflects what God wants for this church in the next, say, four years. And wherever we end up with that vision, I pray that it expresses something fearless. I have seen some churches, I admit, who have come up with very fearful vision statements. They're fearful because they're very cautious. They're very defensive. Uh, plausible deniability everywhere. Right? They go, oh, if, if, if it doesn't work out, then, you know. Or maybe it's just not bold in the first place. It says things like, in the years ahead, we will explore our faith. Okay. It's a hard one to fail at. <laughs> Ambiguous is never ambitious. Or how about we envision a church in which we have kept all of our members. Oh, you guys, I love you. We love you. You belong here. But that's not our vision to keep every single person and just to stop attrition. We're here to glorify Jesus in our neighborhood and beyond. Right? Vision is not defensiveness. That's why God says in Zechariah 8.15, Again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. Because a fearless vision right, dares to put on the resurrection goggles and says, ah, yes, that's what it's going to be like. For some of you individually right now, individually, what you need to hear this morning are those words from Jesus, do not be afraid, fear not. It's a really powerful question um, asked by a guy named Robert Schuller back in the 70s. Robert Schuller could be really um, overly optimistic about raw human powers, but he hit on some really key stuff, especially if you say it in the Easter tone. Anyway, the question is this. What goals would you be setting for yourself if you knew you could not fail?
What goals would you be setting for yourself if you knew you could not fail? Do you see? Your fear has kept you from dreaming. It's kept you from planning. Because the future state of the world seems too terrifying and unknown. And maybe that's why you haven't pursued that ministry. Maybe, it's, maybe that's why you just can't even imagine something like having children or adopting or investing yourself something in the future. It is terrifying to invest in stuff like that. But fear will keep you from planning. But friends, the future of the world has nothing to do with the present powers that rule the world. Your future has nothing to do with the powers. It has to do with Jesus, who says, fear not. We're going to pray together. We're going to have a moment of silence. And Pastor Dave, could I ask you to come up after a moment of silence and pray us out? Let's go to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for this good word, this reminder that we have nothing to fear, and yet we confess in our weakness, Lord, this does not describe us right now, oftentimes. We're often fearful, our minds filled with hedging our bets, how do we avoid pain and suffering? How do we get the easiest path in life carved out? And that's not what you've called us to. That's not what you've ever called your followers to. So I pray that you would give us courage, Holy Spirit, to live those kinds of lives that reflect a belief that we've already won. Because Jesus, you've already won. You've done it all. You've conquered. Our future's incredibly bright. Would you help us now, Holy Spirit, to apply that truth? Help us to live that out day in and day out. 
Would you make us fearless like Jesus? It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.